Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Uh, it's Andre from Mental Health, and I'm here with Professor Nav Kapoor from the University of Manchester. Hi, Nav. How are you doing? Hi. How are you? I'm really good. So you're talking after lunch, yep. um, and you're talking about um, self-harm suicide data, primary care data linkage work just give us a a flavor of this general area and why this is important yeah i mean you know suicide and self-harm are individual tragedies so sometimes people think well isn't it a bit odd looking at statistics and data on what in the end is an individual tragedy but but actually data helps us to understand who people are it helps us to plan services and it helps us to develop new interventions new treatments to better help people so data are really important and that's why i'm really pleased to be here today Um, This afternoon I'm going to be talking specifically about self-harm data, mostly in hospitals. So when I talk about self-harm, I'm talking about people who may have um, taken an overdose or hurt themselves in in some other way. And the reason we're talking about it today is because that behaviour is strongly linked to a later risk of suicide. So if we intervene, we could prevent some suicide deaths. probably one of the most powerful things we can do is to link different data sets. So we've got hospital data sets as part of the multi-centre projects of self-harm in England, but linking that with, for example, mortality data to see what happens to people is really important. Linking it to primary care data so we can see what happens to people when they leave hospital. And the big idea, the really kind of big um, uh, big win potentially, is to link across different data sets. So last year we were able to do a study where we looked at self-harm from a general practice, a primary care perspective in young people, um, and we found quite a surprising result, uh, that the rate of self-harm in 13 to 16-year-old girls increased by about 70%, and we didn't see that increase in other groups. So it was, it was really useful being able to shine, shine a, uh, a lens on the primary care aspects of self-harm. And by linking, we were able to show that there was an inverse care law. So um, children, young people who were living in uh, more deprived areas were less likely to get referred on. And again, we were also able to look at mortality, so an increased uh, risk of um, uh, suicide and other causes of death in young people who have self-harmed, in older people who have self-harmed. And we're seeing this kind of triangulation of data now in this, in this group of young women who are self-harming, these levels really increasing. Have you got any kind of suggestions about what's going on here? I, I, I think it's very difficult to, to uncover exactly what's going on because suicidal behaviour, self-harm is a really complex uh, behaviour with lots of, lots of different things that are contributing. Um, I do think, you know, it's what you said, lots of different data telling us the same thing. There does seem to be a bit of a mental health problem in some of our young women. Um, is that something uh, specific to uh, growing up in the here and now with um, current pressures? We did a study uh, last year where you know things like educational pressures were linked with uh, later um, suicide risk, uh, illnesses were linked with later suicide risk. But of course, you know there's uh, there's a thing that's in the news at the moment, which is the role of social media. I think you know for some young people, um, uh, it may well be playing a role. But I think one of the things we have to uh, remember about social media um, as well is that there are positive aspects for some young people as well as negative. Um, but but certainly, you know, I'm afraid there's no clear answer to why rates are increasing and we're hearing a lot today here about difficulty in accessing data 
<coughs> particularly NHS digital data, as the examples were given earlier, what are the barriers to the kind of data linkage work that you're proposing? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's absolutely right that if I'm a patient of the NHS, um, that I want my data looked after, I want it confidential, and I don't want um, just anyone having access to it. On the other hand, um, these data, um, these statistics, are potentially life-saving because they can help us better intervene. Um, so I'm quite taken with one of the Scandinavian examples. So um, in Scandinavia, you, you kind of make a deal with the state. So um, the state treat your health and social care problems, and in return, you give the health system your data. They handle that responsibility. There's that responsibly. There's never been, um, to the best of my knowledge, a, a data breach. So it's well looked after. But they're able to do amazing things that, um, you know, are world leading in terms of what works and what doesn't, and, and what helps. So I think, you know, in a way, um, it's for all of us as citizens to kind of make a deal with the NHS. And you treat me, um, you can have uh, my data. Um, but it's a responsibility of us as researchers us working in the health service that we a um, look after people's data it's a really precious resource um, but b make best use of it so as researchers you know we're, we're doing the highest quality research and we're communicating that those findings back clearly to people so one of the problems sometimes you know and i'm as guilty of this as anyone else is that researchers sometimes we're stuck in our own little kind of silo our own little world and we're not really kind of telling the general public about the importance of the work how it's changing things Thank <music> you.